Oh, you're going to want to stick around for today's episode. It's going to be a fun one. I am stuck to my seat in anticipation. Yep, we're going out to a national park that has the most hoodoos than anywhere in the world. Hoodoo the hoodoo. Voodoo uh, hoodoos? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Over 2.5 million visitors visit this park every single year, and it's just a spectacular place. Where are we taking everybody, Callie? We're going to Bryce Canyon National Park. Put your seatbelts on. Here we go. Did you know that 46 million Americans plan to take an RV trip in the next 12 months? 90% of recreational vehicle owners take three or more mini vacations every year. Welcome to the RV Destinations Podcast. If it's RV travel, we're talking about it. From campgrounds to museums to national and state parks, kayaking and hiking opportunities. One of the most fun and pleasurable things you can do is just hit the road. So be ready to be inspired. Welcome in to the RV Destinations Podcast. Now your host, President Randy Beheimer and Editor-in-Chief Callie Beheimer. Hello and welcome to the RV Destinations Podcast. This is the podcast series where we talk everything about RV destinations across the United States and Canada. I am Callie Beheimer, Editor-in-Chief of RV Destinations Magazine, here with Randy Beheimer, President of RV Destinations Magazine. Say hi, babe. (laughs) Hello, everybody. I know I said say hi, babe. Oh, hi, babe. Ah, there you go. (laughs) (laughs) And we are super excited today. We have got a treat for all of you listening. We have another ranger with us. So we have on the line Peter Dinsmore, and he is a ranger at Bryce Canyon National Park. And uh, we have decided here offline that Ranger Pete just sounds amazing. And we all decided also that, like, I wanted to be Ranger Callie. I'm thinking Randy wants to be Ranger Rand. Oh, Ranger Randy. That has a great ring. Sounds like a cartoon, actually. Ranger Randy. (laughs) (laughs) We apologize. My wife is a little off today. (laughs) Oh, I'm off every day, babe. (laughs) Well, hi, Pete. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, thank you so much for joining us today and uh, calling in from Bryce Canyon National Park. Well, actually, are you in the park right now? I am in the park, yeah. I'm in the visitor center uh, where my office is located. Awesome. And that that was a great visitor center. So so Callie and I just got back from... Bryce Canyon. We were out in Bryce Canyon. We did Bryce and Zion. We didn't have time to do all five, but uh, that was what April, May, April, April and May. May. Yeah, yep. yeah. So we were. Uh, so Bryce is fresh in our mind. So we're really glad to have you on the show. So, uh, but you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? How long you've been with the National Park? How long you've been there at Bryce? Maybe give us just a little bit of history of yourself. Sure. Yeah, I've been a park ranger for the last seven years, and all seven of those have been here at Bryce Canyon. So I'm kind of uh, loyal to the place uh, in some ways. So I'm originally from the Midwest, from the Chicago area. Uh, Most of my adult life has been spent in Utah um, one way or another. And this chapter now down in southern Utah uh, has probably been my favorite. You know, I met my wife here in the park within about six months of moving here. She was a, a visitor who kind of picked me up along the trail. So that's a great story. But um, it's been such a rewarding time in my life to work at this park. You know, Bryce Canyon is a smaller park. And so like any smaller organization, uh, there's a lot of diversity in what you get involved in day to day. And so I've learned so much and it's been wonderful to be a part of the the community uh, that the Park Service has here and also to connect with the millions of visitors that come through here each year and be able to share their experience of the park uh, with them. That's awesome. So, so were you were you in uniform when you met your? I know. Uh, I have wife so many questions now. <laughs> or were you just casually hiking? No, I was very much in uniform. You know, uh, <laughs> they were on a, a road trip, a winter road trip, and like so many people, myself included, Bryce Canyon was not on their itinerary at the beginning of the trip. You know, some some changes came up, and they detoured to Bryce and. Uh, as my wife recalls it, you know, walking into the visitor center, it was near Christmas time. So there was a bit of a line waiting for the front desk. And at the end of that line, I was answering questions. And she turned to her friend Meg and, and said, I think I need to make up a question. And uh, <laughs> get to know this ranger. And, and Meg actually laughed her off. And instead, they, they went and they took a hike. And uh, as fate would have it, 
I was finishing a geology talk right at Sunset Point when they emerged from their hike on the Navajo Loop Trail. And uh, she saw me for a second time and told Meg, you know, I, I think I need a photo with him. You know, so we have a photo of the exact moment that we met that is at awesome. the top of the Navajo Loop Trail. And uh, yeah, the rest is kind of history. Um, there's there's some more kismet that follows, but we ended up getting married in 2020 on um, Powell Point, which is one of the features you can see along the eastern horizon from the park. So I've got my wedding band, but also the landscape itself kind of holds our story for us and um, I really love that. What a great yeah. night. I got chills. That, I know, that's a I great, do too. That's a, that's a great story. That is incredible. And see, guys, those that are listening, the gentlemen, women love men in uniform. <laughs> I'm telling you right now. <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing. It's a thing. It's a thing. We know you have it together if you're wearing a uniform. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's awesome. Well, thank you again so much for being on here. We appreciate it and we 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 try to make uh, you know these podcasts as much of a value to our listeners, and a, as we uh, kind of told you offline, so we're a bunch of crazy RVers out there. Uh, so we're the ones driving the big bus or pulling the big <laughs> fifth wheel or the uh, the bumper pull. So, uh, but but we really appreciate it. So we, what we usually do is we usually uh, start with what's called fun facts, and we're going to talk about some fun facts. We're hoping that you can interject some of your own fun facts uh, about about Bryce Canyon, but. Uh, and I pulled these off of uh, zionbrides.com, top 10 interesting facts you didn't know about Bryce Canyon. Um, and the first one is, uh, where did Bryce get its name? And that was obviously Ebenezer Bryce. But uh, do you know much about the story, uh, Hell of a Place to Lose a Cow? Do you know much about that story? We, we've heard a little bit about that story, mm-hmm. but I wonder if you knew much about it. Yeah, so, you know, Ebenezer Bryce, is here with his wife Mary and their 10 children in the mid-1870s. And uh, they're among the first Euro-American families settling in the valley just east of the park. So the pink cliffs of Bryce Canyon are kind of visible along the edge of the valley. And uh, Ebenezer, you know, builds his family a cabin. He was a ship builder trained in Scotland before emigrating. And um, he had he had skills that were absolutely essential to kind of these small communities of uh, settlers from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints to to get them established. And uh, he built a road up into the edge of what would become the park um, many, many decades later uh, to harvest timber. And so locals started calling the area Bryce's Canyon, kind of where that road ended. But he and his wife and family would only stay in the area for about five years, you know, though the area where they were living is now called Tropic. It's really just kind of a marketing technique to call it tropic. You know, they were trying to get other settlers to move over and enjoy a longer growing season, but it still gets incredibly cold. Oh, yeah. Um, we're here at, you know, 6,000 up to 9,000 feet in this particular area. And so five years after arriving, they would move to Arizona for warmer temperatures. But the name stuck. And, uh, yeah, it was it's it's probably apocryphal, but someone was talking to Ebenezer some years later, asking him what it was like to live in such a remarkable place. And the story goes that he says, you know, well, it's a hell of a place to lose a cow. <laughs> and so that reflects kind of, you know, even though they may have appreciated the natural beauty of the area, they were pretty focused on pragmatic matters of survival while they were here. Yeah, and, uh, that's a, yeah, but that story is stuck, even though the family kind of, you know, would he have sworn? Probably not. No one knows, but it's it's too good of a quote to, to not keep bringing right. up. Oh, yeah. The, the first time we heard it, we were at Ebenezer Theater there mm-hmm. in um, Bryce City, right? Yeah. And, and, yep. And uh, they were talking about it as part of, I'm, I'm assuming maybe you've seen that show, maybe you haven't, but they talked about it there for the first time. I'm like, that, what a great story. Yeah, over at Ebenezer's Barn and Grill right, yeah. right. there in Bryce Canyon City. Yep. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, there's even a song written uh, with that title by the band, the house band that plays. Yeah, oh. yeah, we heard. Uh, they've really run with yeah, it for yeah. sure. But I that, love it. That's great. Now, now you you said something about the weather. So w- when we were there, we stayed, uh, and I don't remember the small little town we stayed in, but. We stayed in between Zion and Bryce. That way we could turn left and go to Bryce or right down to Zion. But there's a, a tremendous difference in weather between Zion yeah. and Bryce. I mean, uh, you know, several degrees in temperature-wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I assume you see that all year round just because of the elevation. Yeah, it's like a natural air conditioning. You know, in the summer, Zion can be well over 100 degrees, but... 
up here at Bryce Canyon, you know, we're about 4,000 feet higher than the floor of Zion Canyon. Um, you know, it'll be um, sometimes 10 plus degrees cooler up here. Um, and of course, in the winter, that leads to quite a bit more snowfall, you know, around seven feet average snowfall wow. in the lower elevations of the park. But um, that's one of the most uh, impressive things about this area, I think, you know, Canyon country, the Colorado Plateau, southern Utah in particular, is you can drive an hour and change thousands of feet of elevation, moving between life zones, different strata of rock. Uh, down into deep canyons and up onto high plateaus and mountaintops. And so uh, it may be a short drive, but a lot changes as you move between the national parks in this area. Sure. So definitely pay attention to the weather uh, because I, I know we were, um, one day we were in Zion and mm-hmm. it was hot. We were in shorts and T-shirts. And then we looked at the temperature before we went the following day to mm-hmm. Bryce and we ended up being in like snow hats, long yeah, sleeve shirts. I brought and, like a jacket, uh, yeah. gloves. Yeah, and... it was it was a completely different story. Yeah. We started a, a hike pretty early in the morning, and so it was definitely chilly when we started. Chilly. But uh, yeah, that's something. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the next fun fact we've got, despite its name, it's not actually a canyon. Bryce Canyon is actually a vast stretch of natural amphitheaters etched into the expansive plateau. So. So they're saying it's uh, on this site. I'm assuming you would agree with this. Hopefully, it's true. If not, then, <laughs> awkward. Then, yeah. I'm, wor- I'm worried about my uh, my facts here. <laughs> <laughs> no, even if it's not true, we can talk about why that is. But this <laughs> one is true. Again, we're two for two. Um, the when you think of canyons, you know, you think of the Grand Canyon, you think of Zion Canyon, and uh, there's a river at the bottom of both of those, the Colorado and the Virgin Rivers. Now, Bryce Canyon does not have a river flowing through it, and so does not meet that definition of a canyon. You know, the closest river is the Perea River, which is um, a few miles east of the park. And so what Bryce Canyon is, is sort of uh, the headwaters of that river. And only when rain and melting snow fall directly onto the rock formations and the slopes around them, do they flow and downcut and contribute to the erosion that makes Bryce Canyon look the way it does? So there's not a year-round river or stream flowing through. Uh, there's one part of the park where there is, but that's due to irrigation diversion. But in that Bryce Amphitheater area of the park, uh, yeah, it's just water come from the sky. And to further that, too, there's a watershed, um, a major watershed between the Colorado River and the Great Basin, uh, Nevada, and everything in that direction. And that watershed line is the rim of the canyon. So as you leave a viewpoint, you're leaving uh, the watershed of the Great Basin and descending down into the Colorado River watershed. And uh, that big bowl that you're descending into when you hike, uh, we call an amphitheater. And basically, these amphitheaters are just slowly expanding about one to four feet a century as that rain and melting snow falls and erodes away the, the soft limestone that the park is made of. Oh, that's interesting. So, so, so the rain is is uh, uh, shaping the park more than anything else, more than wind or anything else. Is that what I'm hearing? Well, you know, the a lot of the moisture is getting here through rain and snow. What's giving Bryce Canyon its characteristic appearance has a lot to do with what happens when that rain and melting snow uh, falls below 32 degrees Fahrenheit and freezes. And so uh, there's lots of ways you could describe Bryce Canyon. Um, and uh, one of them would just be as Bryce's pothole, if you wanted to. It's the same sort of uh, freezing, expanding frost wedging that's breaking these rocks apart, same way that roads kind of get broken apart uh, as water freezes within the crack. So rain, wind, gravity, people, all playing a part. But ice is the one that's allowing these rocks to be faceted kind of in all these strange shapes and remain so tall and thin as it goes. Um, it's pretty amazing. to, to Yeah, see. that's incredible. Yeah, we did a hike, which we're going to talk about in the top 10, and it, it literally is probably one of the best hikes. Uh, I, I almost liked it. Well, I probably did like a better than Angel's Landing and a few of the other ones, uh, uh, one that we did through Bryce, because it it's just so bizarre but so uniquely bizarre when you're down in there and you're surrounded by these hoodoos and all that so it's just uh, what what an amazing park it really is plus hoodoos is just so fun to say yeah well in, fa- in fact that's the ne- that's the next uh thing is that the park is home to more hoodoos than anywhere else in the world can you confirm that 
Yep, that's a, that's another factual uh, top ten fact. So Bryce Canyon is home to what we would say the greatest concentration of hoodoos found anywhere on Earth. So hoodoos are these rock spires. Uh, they're formed out of a minimum of two different layers of rock. You've got a softer rock underneath and a harder one on top. So in the simplest form, a hoodoo is going to look kind of like a toadstool. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as you add in more and more layers of varying hardness, like you have at Bryce Canyon, you can get all kinds of shapes as the layers erode at different rates. Now, you can find hoodoos on every continent. Um, I'm sure they're buried under the ice and Antarctica. But um, here at Bryce Canyon, you can even find hoodoos down the road at other national parks. But what you're not going to find is so many of them uh, in one place, nor looking as varied and colorful as you get at Bryce King. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have this greatest concentration here at Bryce, and that's what the park was first established around to protect, kind of that geologic uniqueness that comes from having so many of these rock spires here. Very cool. Yeah, that's very awesome. Uh, now, there's a, the next one is uh, about, it talks about Thor's hammer. Now, did we see Thor's hammer? I, I don't, I, this is not even ringing a bell, so I'm guessing not. So, so it's, what is saying, it's saying it's near Sunrise Point, but I oh. and we were near Sunrise Point, but I don't. Maybe we saw it and didn't know what it was. Maybe. But can you tell us a little bit about Thor's hammer? Sure. Yeah. So, of all of the countless thousands of hoodoos in the park, you know, most of them unnamed, uh, Thor's hammer is is by far the the most famous um, of the hoodoos. It's actually close to Sunset Point, so about a half mile south of Sunrise. Point. Oh wow. And you you can see it from up above, but when you're looking down on it, it is <clears throat> sort of backdropped against more rock features. So it might not be as distinctive. The best view and the most impressive place to view it is along the two bridges side of the Navajo Loop Trail. And so if you're hiking along there, you'll get kind of its blocky head of limestone with this narrow neck of, of mudstone layering, kind of eroding more quickly and then kind of bulging back out. It's kind of got a feature, it looks similar to a bowling pin. It's very humanoid looking. It's actually the same height as the Statue of Liberty without the oh, pedestal wow. and the upstretched arm. So just Lady Liberty herself. Um, and so a very impressive feature that's close to the rim and has that beautiful sort of buried shaping that, like I said, you get from all those different rock layers. Um, Thor's hammer is probably the most featured hoodoo in our park gift shop too. So uh, like all hoodoos, its day will come when it will topple down. And I tell visitors to pay attention because, you know, chances are good that quite a bit of uh, things in our gift shop would be 50% off. <laughs> or, uh, or twice as expensive. Yeah, there, you go. Yeah, there you go. Good to buy now and buy later. And <laughs> everything you do buy in the visitor center bookstore does directly support the park. It's through the, uh, Bryce Canyon Association, our nonprofit partner. Yeah, that's awesome. Oh, that's so I, great. I, I'm looking at a picture here, and I think we did see I it. Think I guess so. I just and didn't know what we were looking at. I was so. actually scanning through my phone, like, oh, huh, I wonder if I yeah, randomly no, took a picture I, of this, I, but I didn't see it. I'm looking at it here online. It. I'm pretty sure we did. So I do remember seeing uh, what was in Queen's Garden, the Queen. Uh, yeah, and, and, and that was neat. Well, they had the picture right there. You had the plaque right there that kind of visually helps you yeah. uh, see it. Uh, and I thought that that was uh, that was pretty neat. That's but it, handy. But it sounds like that for a long time that people have been seeing. Let me see that one of my facts were that people have been seeing faces in it for some time. Uh, some believe they could see faces in the rock. Native Americans used to call the place. Okay, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try to <laughs> pronounce that. Maybe you know what I'm talking about. Anka Kuwasa Awitz. <laughs> yes, that was it. <laughs> so, so the, me mispronouncing things, you know, I'm a hillbilly from Kentucky. Me mispronouncing things is a very common joke here on the, uh, the show on the here. podcast. But, it, but it's referred to as red painted faces. It's believed that if you look closer to these hoodoos and rocks, you could see the faces of those who have turned to stone. Ooh. So, do you know anything about that, or is that just? Uh, yeah. So, um, Southern Paiute stories about Bryce Canyon are stories of consequences and punishment. You know, talking to some elders, uh, the Bryce Amphitheater area, the area that you were hiking in, uh, would have been avoided and gone around. Uh, And part of that, it has to do with the story that explains why Bryce Canyon is and why it looks the way it does. As you were mentioning, you know, Anka Kawasowicz, um, is a 
place name that translates as red painted faces. There's a there's a couple different names that all kind of point to the same thing. And that reflects this story in which a legend people were turned to stone by the trickster god Coyote. Um, and the reasons for this are, are somewhat vague, but there's suggestion that there may have been greed and overconsumption on the part of these people. And so they were punished by being turned to rock. And the legend people, you know, they looked like people, but also other things. And so um, you can see things that look like animals and, and various other uh forms of life in these rocks and so that that story as you would look upon Bryce Canyon you know carries this this lesson you know and how to live in right relationship with the world um, the word hoodoo mm -hmm. actually is a derivative of a southern Paiute word hoodoo um, which describes things uh, from the spirit world things that might inspire fear um, and Euro-Americans basically heard that word and uh, mistook it as applying to the rock specifically. You know, it's more of a description of a place um, and an experience. But then that word became hoodoo to then get to uh, apply to the rocks themselves. Oh, that's really interesting. I wanted to point out that I wasn't too far off. <laughs> no, you weren't. You, you're pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just, yeah. Usually I butcher them pretty bad, especially with the Indian words. But, uh, yes. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, well, that's kind of it. Uh, we're going to go through the top 10 now. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, now, we should say this uh, to the listeners here. This is our top 10. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. R Ranger Pete did not create these. He's just going to kind of fill in some of the stuff that maybe we didn't know. And because I have a feeling that number ten might be Ranger Pete's number one, <laughs> and that is stop by the visitor center. That's right. Because you too could find your future spouse at the visitor center. So it's important to go. And say hi let, to a lot of people. Let's set expectations really high for <laughs> really your visit high. to the park. That's right. And all of a sudden, you're going to have a huge influx of single people coming to the visitor center. I heard I can find my spouse here. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is Bryce Canyon's centennial year <clears throat> this mm -hmm. year. And so we've had a whole year of celebrations. And one of the things that we've tried to highlight this year is a, a series, mostly on social media, called Who Do You Love? Oh. And it's the reason we did it is because even just in starting, we're aware of numerous stories of people meeting their significant other here or, or falling in love with the place, you know, rediscovering a new way of relating to themselves or, or what have you. But lots of love stories have taken place in Bryce Canyon. And so while we don't promote it necessarily <laughs> that way, you know, unofficially, I guess I'm living proof that, you know, there's always, a there's chance. always a chance. And, uh, yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. It's pretty romantic landscape. It really is. It really is. And, and you know, I, I personally, I love the visitor centers because there's so much information there. You know, you do have the opportunity to uh, meet with and speak with rangers that are on duty to pick their brains, ask their, you know, ask questions of the surrounding landscape, some of their favorites. That's one of the things that we've always enjoyed is, you know, asking the ranger, what is your favorite hike? What is your favorite rock formation to see in the park? And it's, and it's really interesting because you, you a lot of times get off the beaten path ideas, which is super nice. Yeah. So I tried to pin down a ranger Ridge from Yellowstone. He'd been there for 31 years yeah. and still going strong. And I said, okay, you've got one day left in Yellowstone. Where do you go? And, you know, I'm expecting him to say, you know, I go out to the Grand Canyon Yellowstone or I go out here and visit this. He's like, I'm taking a fishing pole and I'm going out and going fishing. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just, it was just an odd thing. But, but I guess he sees it every day and it would just, so, so we will pin you down before the end oh, of the yes. show to see what your favorite part sure. of the favorite part of the park. But, you know, along with the visitor center, mm -hmm. I thought Bryce had one of the best gift shops in yeah. there. I mean, I, I bought that jacket. I still wear it. Uh, well, I'm not wearing it now, but I still wear it all that the time. a nice jacket. Yeah. Yeah. So they've got a lot of great stuff. Uh, so there's some very memorable gift shops, uh, Bryce being one, mm -hmm. uh, Yellowstone, of course, is one yeah. in Grand Canyon's got a really good one too. So, uh, but those are probably the top three, I think, gift shops. So I would agree. I would agree. I I thoroughly enjoyed my gift shop purchases. Yep, and don't forget to get your passport book stamped there yes. at the visitor center when you go. Yes, uh, I I can't tell you how many times Ranger Pete we have gone to a national park with our national passport book and totally forgot to get it stamped. Yeah, so that's kind of a bummer. Well. It's a bummer, but um, it is possible to write the park after you get home. You know, we hear from people every so often that are in your very situation, and uh, we can often stamp a little slip of paper 
and uh, send it off to you at home. So oh, yeah, there are second chances. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, good. Yes. <laughs> that is such good news. Because like Fort Jefferson, uh, all the way down in the Dry Tortugas, did not get our book stamped. I, I don't think they have mail there. <laughs> they might not. <laughs> they have to mail it to you. But moving on to number nine. Yes, number nine. Now, this is outside of the park, but I felt like it definitely deserves a mention. And this is visiting Bryce Canyon City uh, because it, for me, I look at it, it sits right outside of the gate of Bryce Canyon National Park and almost is a part of the national park itself. Would, would you agree with that statement or not? Um, well, you know, technically it's outside the boundaries of the park, but the history of Bryce Canyon City, of Ruby's Inn, you know, which is mm-hmm. the, uh, the resort and hotel complex that's in Bryce Canyon City, is very closely tied to the park. Um, right about the same time that um, promotion of the park and the first improved roads, well, and I say promotion of the park, it wasn't a park at this point. This is around 1916. Uh, this is when Bryce Canyon was first starting to be shared with the world. Um, you had homesteaders, Ruby and Minnie Syrett, uh, and the Syrett family still uh, manages Ruby's Inn and, and lives in Bryce Canyon City. They homesteaded just north of the future park boundaries, right where Bryce Canyon City is, uh, without even knowing that there was anything here, you know, anything meaning Bryce Canyon and all the fantastic rock formations. Uh, it was just a good place to ranch. And as the family story goes, it was about six weeks later that a local rancher came by and asked if they had seen Bryce's Canyon and they had no idea what that was and asked and he said, well, you know, it's just a big hole in the ground, but you really ought to see it. And they wandered over to the rim. And as the family story goes, you know, they, they could only talk in hushed tones and whispers. And so mm-hmm. shortly after that, they started providing hospitality to the earliest people coming down to visit the landscape, setting up a tent and then building the first lodge near Sunset Point. And uh, in the early 1920s, the Union Pacific would purchase that lodge uh, and build the the lodge that still stands there today. And the Cyrates would move back to their homestead um, where they, you know, remained and build uh, Ruby's Inn some years later to start providing the hospitality that they still do today. And I just, I love that. And I, we had gone into Ruby's Inn, um, you know, and spent a little bit of time there in Bryce Canyon City. And it's a cute, 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 little, little, little town, but uh, plenty of things to do and see there outside of the park to keep people busy and entertained. Uh, Ruby's Inn is, you know, their, their whole general store is extensive. Um, and then I, I grabbed like this little newspaper while we were there and read about the whole history, which is what you just shared. And it was just fascinating. I, I think it's incredible that here was this family that had no idea <laughs> that Bryce Canyon was essentially in their backyard. And I just think that's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty amazing. I can only imagine when, once they have that experience of realizing what was there. And, and yeah, it, it changed their lives. You know, they became they, they started providing that hospitality and, and they've never stopped. So. That's incredible. Well, number eight is take a ride on the park's shuttle. And this is really neat because the, the shuttle goes both inside and outside of the park. Is that right? And there's there's about 15 different stops. Yeah, that's right. The shuttle has been around since uh, 2000 and uh, is one of the best things about the park uh, as far as you know, our infrastructure, I feel. Uh, from April through October, you can ride the free park shuttle. I say free because it doesn't cost anything in addition to your park entrance. So if you have a park pass or purchase a pass, that also entitles you to unlimited use of the park shuttle. And uh, it runs from eight to six and then extends to eight to eight during the summer and the peak season, traveling from Bryce Canyon City and the hotels out there, as well as from the shuttle station, which is out in town to the park's most iconic overlooks, as well as the visitor center and its campgrounds. So, you know, with Bryce Canyon, you know, exceeding 2 million visitors a year, um, the parking lots can sometimes fill up uh, throughout the day, requiring temporary uh, vehicle restrictions. Uh, Yet Mm -hmm. the shuttle just keeps on going. So it's the most reliable way to be able to go throughout the park and not have to worry about the the stress of finding a place to park or moving your car. Uh, It also affords really fantastic hiking opportunities. Um, 
in the Bryce Amphitheater, the, the most iconic part of the park, there's a rim trail that connects the four most iconic viewpoints. And it's a mile and a half to a half mile between varying views. And by riding the shuttle, you can get off at one view and do a one-way walk to the next view or the view after that and hop back on the shuttle that way. So you don't have to backtrack and get your car or anything like that. So it's a, it's a great resource that we have here. Oh, yeah, which is which is awesome. And, you know, one of the things that I had wrote about when I wrote the in, entire article on, on Bryce was that, you know, some of these hikes um, are pretty uh, down. <laughs> there's a whole lot of down, and that means there's a whole lot of up to get back to your car. And then if you're, you know, doing it out and back, it's it's just a lot. So the, the shuttle is one way to at least not to have to, you know, hike all the way back to your car. You just have to walk back to one of these stops. Right. And isn't Sunset Point and Sunrise Point at two completely different locations? They are. Uh, Sunset Point is stop number 11 and Sunrise Point is stop number 13. But what I'm saying is you can, uh, it's frequent that people would hike from one to the other and then take the shuttle back to the other one. Is, isn't that what we're kind of saying? Yeah, you could. I mean, yeah. when you, um, you know, go on the park's website and check out the shuttle page or pick up a newspaper, you'll see the shuttle goes in one direction, you know, so it stops in at sunset and then the lodge, then sunrise and then returns to the visitor center. It's kind of doing this large loop. Um, so there's a little bit of savviness to, you know, deciding where to get on and off, you know, to, to have the shortest ride back to where you want to go. But sunset to sunrise, that half mile, it's flat, it's paved, it's the most accessible and, and easy walk in the park. And because it's paved, you can take a leashed pet on that section of pavement as well. And it's kind of like Bryce Canyon's boardwalk. You know, you get the fantastic views right there, but a very easy hike. So whether you use the shuttle uh, between the two or just walk from sunset to sunrise and then walk back, you know, that's a mile total. That's a great option for folks that might be intimidated by some of the trails below the rim. Now, do you feel, uh, have you heard any uh, secret talk behind closed doors about doing what Zion's doing as far as the bus system, requiring it, uh, only bus system, uh, and basically no vehicles coming in? Or, or is that something you've evaluated? Yeah, I mean, you, you see all kinds of different uh, methods that parks have been working with, experimenting with. Um, for for visitation management, you know, whether that's timed entry or requiring a shuttle. Um, to this point, you know, a combination of the free park shuttle, uh, the shared use bike path, especially with the rise of e-bikes, that's become mm -hmm. a very accessible way for people to get into the park. Um, and folks that are just walking into the park, th these things have allowed us to manage our visitation as it is. Uh, but you don't have to look far to Zion or Arches to see parks that are trying various ways of preserving the visitor experience, trying to balance the visitor enjoyment with protection of the park. You know, over visitation can, can certainly have consequences. And so sure. whether or not those will show up at Bryce Canyon one day, I don't know. Um, but um, yeah, we're, we're very thankful that what we've got now has allowed uh, the visitor experience to remain as great as it's ever been i think yeah and i don't think uh i never felt like it was overly packed of course no. we went in, yeah we were kind of early we season. checked in may 1st uh mm -hmm. when we checked in i think we were so it would have been the first week of may that we were there i assume that is kind of a shoulder month for bryce uh in may or or is it you know spring break in march is kind of the unofficial start to the bell curve you know rising up um and may can be uh, a very popular month. You know, at 8,000 feet, the seasons are um, a little bit delayed uh, compared to our neighboring lower parks. You know, May, I, I don't know if you remember snow on the ground when you were, yeah. you were here, but yep. we can often have it persist into May. Um, and so that too can also have an effect sometimes on visitation, but um, it, it peaks, you know, in, in June, probably August, there's a bit of a lull in visitation, so that's kind of an inside secret. You can often have a, a little bit um, more, um, uh, just less visitation in, in August. And then uh, come September and October, it actually kind of rises up again. I'd say it's more November uh, that we start to see things tapering off into sort of a winter shoulder. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. Gotcha. 
Tis the season to be giving, and here at RV Destinations, we are in the super giving spirit. Yep, we're in a jolly mood here, and most of you know that uh, that have been with us some time that in December we give our best discounts of the year. We do, we do, and we are giving 30% off any of our subscriptions out there. I'm, I'm kind of feeling like Santa. Ho, ho, ho. That's right, and you got to act. So this is going to go on from November 1st till the end of December. So January 1st, we will turn off this code. This is not a code that's going to stay on all year. Uh, this is not kind of sales gimmick. Uh, you've got basically two months to act. So you better act now by going out to www.rvdestinationsmagazine.com forward slash subscribe and put in code HOLIDAY30. That is HOLIDAY30 in all caps at checkout. And by using code HOLIDAY30, you get 30% off any of our subscriptions. You don't want to miss out on this. Come and be inspired. Come and join us, y'all. All right, so let's move on to number seven, which is check out the lodge. And this is part of what you had shared with us of the Syrett family that originally constructed that tourist rest. And then when the Union Pacific Railroad came in, they expanded it, and it's what the lodge is today. And and it's a pretty good-sized lodge. What, about 114 rooms, including some cabins? Yeah, so when they actually uh, purchased tourist rest from the Cyrus, they ended up keeping it around for a little bit of time while they built the new lodge, but ultimately tourist rest was torn down. So there isn't oh, any okay. um, evidence that anymore. So they built the lodge in a new location. Um, it was designed and overseen by Gilbert Stanley Underwood, who's a pretty famous architect when it comes to architecture, you know, in, in classic lodges. If you've uh, seen the Awani Hotel in Yosemite Valley, that's another uh, building designed by Underwood, but he chose a site about an eighth of a mile back from the rim, uh, kind of hidden by the Ponderosa Pines in order to preserve uh, what we'd call the view shed, you know, sort of the lack of human uh, infrastructure visible along the rim, preserving that okay. kind of timeless feeling that you have. So it's, it's nestled back there and um, is... Uh, almost 100 years old itself. Construction started in 1924 and was finished in 1925, and then some expansions were done after that. The My favorite architectural detail, uh, you can see on the deluxe cabins, which are right next to the lodge and on the lodge itself, the roof is covered in cedar shingles, and these are all hand-cut shingles uh, that, when taken as a whole, make the roof almost look uneven, like it's undulating got all these waves oh wow and that effect was chosen to suggest the swaying of the ponderosa pines that surround the lodge and the cabin um, oh, it's a really neat. unique um, labor intensive and very expensive to replace um, architectural detail uh, that is really fun to notice when you're in that part of the park Oh, that is so cool. Yeah, I, I, I'm looking at the picture online and now I see what you're saying. Yeah, because they're you're, yeah, it's like this kind of almost varying degrees, it looks like, on the roof. It's And it's a beautiful shade of green. That is that is absolutely fascinating. Very cool. Very, very cool. Yeah. So number six is Saddle Up. And that is exploring Bryce Canyon by horseback. And I understand that Canyon Trail Rides is the only company within the park that provides rides. Is that correct? Yeah, so um, like a number of things in the park, there are concessions, contracts that the park enters into for a period of time. So the lodge is another example uh, to, to run that operation. And for horseback riding, uh, you have canyon trail rides that are providing uh, multiple rides a day. They do uh, both a two-hour and a three-hour guided mm -hmm. horse and mule ride down to the Bryce Amphitheater. And that's been kept as a traditional use in the park, you know, uh, horse riding down into Explorer. You, you've seen that kind of from the beginning of the park's history. It's a great way for people who, again, might be intimidated or unable to access trails below the rim to get down mm -hmm. and enjoy it. You know, uh, as long as you have upper body mobility, you can ride um, one of these horses or mules. So um, really extends the accessibility of the park, which is great. Uh, you can book those trail rides April through October, 
And then if you have your own private stock, there's also opportunities to come and ride um, on the trails as well. Uh, on the park's website, there's a, a whole page dedicated to horseback riding and stockies. And so you can get the details for either one of those experiences. Cool. Oh, very cool. Yeah, we did the uh, horseback ride in Zion National Park. Um, and it was incredible. It was the first time we'd ever done a horseback ride within a national park. And it, it, it just brings a whole new level of experiencing the park that I really never anticipated would be as incredible as it was. Like I, I grew up riding horses, so I've, I've had that experience. But then to be in the national park and, and be on something, you know, quote unquote, so primitive, um, I just think gave a whole new appreciation and a whole new feel for the park. Well, I think it's the same company because I believe we had a choice to do Bryce or Zion. Or Zion. Um, yeah. You know, as part of the magazine, uh, they uh, they allowed us to come in and, and basically write on the experience. And they, we were trying to decide which one we want to do. We ended up electing Zion. Zion. And it was incredible. But we did do Glacier, too. So we've done actually two oh, horseback right. rides. But, that's right. But, yeah, Zion was amazing. But I could imagine that Bryce... I, I kind of yeah. think him back, like maybe we should have done Down the Bryce. The, we'll just have to go back. Because honestly, Bryce ended up becoming one of my favorite national parks that we've ever visited. Um, it, it was, I've just, I've never seen anything like that. And it was just incredible and awe-inspiring. Do, do you ever feel um, um, like Bryce is overshadowed by Zion? Do I feel that way? Well, I mean, do you think in general, because, you know, I, 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 you know, when speaking to people, it sounds like a lot of people make Zion, like, this is our trip, we're going to Zion. Oh, if we have time, we'll stop by Bryce. Kind of, you know, when I'm talking to fellow travelers, that's yeah. kind of what I hear. So I wonder if you, you know, ever kind of see that where, where you're almost in their shadows. Which is yeah. so wrong. <laughs> well, you know, we're so much higher in elevation. If anyone was going to be in anyone's shadow, you know, it would be Zion and ours. But Bryce and Zion, the Grand Canyon's North Rim and Cedar Breaks have all been kind of tied together in their history um, of visitation, going back to the early 1920s when the Union Pacific not only built the lodge of Bryce Canyon, but built lodges at those other parks as well. Now, Bryce Canyon has the only original one as the ones at Zion and Grand Canyon both burned down, and the one at Cedar Breaks was basically destroyed by heavy snow loads. But um, the Union Pacific would advertise these trips to combine these parks in what they call the Grand Circle Tour. So people would ride railways uh, to near Cedar City, Utah, just west of here, and then get on buses to do multi-day trips to see each park. And so I think that being able to see all these parks really helps give you a more holistic understanding of this region. You know, the national parks have their boundaries, but the, the things that they're protecting, especially the geology here, you know, extends well beyond those boundaries. And you'll find connections, such as the, the fact that the oldest rocks in Bryce, kind of the lowest rocks, are more or less the youngest rocks, the highest ones in Zion. So you kind of step oh. down into that. And then the same is true for Zion and the Grand Canyon. You know, the oldest rocks in Zion basically transition right into the youngest rocks of the Grand Canyon. And so oh. while Zion's much closer to an interstate, you know, and it has more visitors than Bryce Canyon does, um, I think that for many people, they're all kind of woven together. So if you have the time, I can't recommend enough trying to recreate that grand circle experience for yourself. Yeah, exact, exactly. Well, you know, Callie, we, we spent probably the equal 10 days in the area, right? We'd yeah. spent about five with Bryce, five with Zion, yeah. roughly. Mm -hmm. um, but she walked away uh, saying that Bryce, she loved Bryce way more than yes. Zion. I, if we went back to the area, I would, I would be fine with not going to Zion again. And not that Zion was... I mean, Zion was incredible. It was beautiful. But I, I would want to come back to Bryce and spend more time there and really and do more hikes among the hoodoos because it was just it was incredible. Yeah, we did one hike and we're this is number two. So I'm mm -hmm. uh, saving it for number two. But it, it was just mind blowing how beautiful yeah. the hike was. I'm sure you probably have done this one, too. But 
Well, I would love to ask you what your favorite hike is when we get to that section. So yep. what are we doing? Uh, number uh, five Number now. five, yes. And this is traversing the land. And I, and this is uh, using the uh, park's shared use path, which I thought was really cool when we went through the, par- uh, the park. Um, and so you can bike, you can walk, you can rollerblade, you can take your, are you able to take your dog on the shared use path? You are, yeah. So with dogs, just as a general statement there, the rule is pause on pavement. And so that's paved viewpoints, which is every viewpoint in the park, uh, with the exception of one called Piracy Point. Um, But it allows you to go on this five miles of shared use path within the park. Um, The entire path is actually 18 miles long. It extends all the way from Bryce Canyon across the plateau over to Red Canyon, um, which is composed of the same vivid red rocks and the hoodoos as Bryce Canyon, um, but it's managed by the Dixie National Forest. And okay. what that means is that it's actually kind of Bryce Canyon for dog owners. Um, oh. The National Forest has very different uh, regulations as far as pets go. And so while at Bryce Canyon, there's no hiking with your dog on essentially most of the trails, anything that's unpaved, but over in the National Forest in Red Canyon, you can take many hikes with your pet uh, in the hoodoos and also do things like mountain biking, you know, that yeah, you can't do on trails in Bryce. But yeah, that shared use path is a great way of getting from Bryce Canyon City to the visitor center and uh, the, the many iconic views in the amphitheater. Uh, it currently ends at Inspiration Point. And um, yeah, like I mentioned, e-bikes, a great way to do it. If you go north to south, heading toward Inspiration, you are doing more uphill than downhill. So often what visitors enjoy doing is putting their bike on the Bryce Canyon shuttle, Mm -hmm. taking the shuttle to Inspiration Point, and then you can ride downhill back towards Bryce Canyon City and stop at viewpoints as you go. Ah, that's pure genius. Because yeah, I'm not much of a cyclist. And uh, the e-bikes are phenomenal and heading downhill is even better. (laughs) (laughs) Just just minus the uh, hard stop at the end. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So number four is take a hike. And there are, what I really loved about Bryce is that there are so many varying styles of hike and skill levels of hike. Um, You know, you have the the nice kind of that, that rim trail that is nice and flat and some of it is paved as well. The, The rim trail, isn't it? Yeah, just the section between sunset and sunrise, it's that half mile that's paved. But otherwise, it's five and a half miles from Bryce Point to Fairyland Point in the north. And you get just varying views of just the, the all these rocks below, you know, and seeing them shift in shape and size as you kind of slowly move along the edge of it. And then, of course, as you reach viewpoints, there are opportunities to descend down below. So the Rim Trail is a great way to kind of connect many of the park's most popular views and trails. And is, is the Rim Trail, is, is that one that can be um, reached via the park shuttle system? Yeah, like I was saying before, honestly, the park shuttle system is the best way to hike the Rim Trail because you can get off at one point, walk the Rim Trail to the next point or the one after that or after that, and then reboard the bus. So they were really kind of designed, they, they just work so well together. Oh, that's, that's spectacular. And then number three really kind of ties into number four, which is the sunrise and sunset points. Um, and it, it truly is. I mean, they're, they're named that way because the sunrise point, you can catch an epic sunrise, and then the sunset point, you can catch an epic sunset. Is that true? Um, I'd, I'd call this one half true. Um, okay. So they're, they're really <laughs> just, just names. Uh, it, it, when you really start breaking it down, I've heard that the names came from the early lodge um, sort of marketing even, that wanting visitors to feel like from the lodge, you have a short walk to both a sunrise and a sunset location. Oh, gotcha. But Bryce Canyon runs north-south, and essentially all of its views uh, face east. So it's a really excellent park for the sunrise, obviously, as the sun comes up at that low angle and hits the red rocks um, and the white. You know, they really glow in this amazing way. 
as the sun sets, you know, you'll you'll have shadows start to crawl across the rocks below the edge of the plateau. But if, especially if you have any clouds above, you can start to get this reflected light down on the hoodoos that honestly, the sunsets I've seen um, are more memorable to me than the sunrises, even though Bryce is so iconic for a sunrise. Um, when talking about sunrise and sunset points, my advice would be to flip them, uh, okay. to go to sunrise point for sunset and to go to sunset point for sunrise. One, there's just going to be less people there because people do kind of assume the name means something. Um, but you can also get a great view um, from anywhere in the Bryce Amphitheater. So inspiration point tends to be my favorite stuff. There you go. Okay. Pro, pro tip point. I, I know. I'm going to have to rewrite that now. I'm taking notes <laughs> over here furiously. <laughs> now, also, um, I, I believe that Bryce is also a dark sky, so astrophotography is uh, uh, possible, too? Yeah, we've been recognized by the International Dark Sky Association uh, as a dark sky park since 2019. And Bryce Canyon has done astronomy programming since 1960 you know, making it one of the longest running, I think the longest running astronomy program in any national park. But whether or not we're actually doing astronomy programs, those tend to run from Memorial Day to Labor Day. Um, you can enjoy the park 24 hours a day, come in after dark and see that night sky. If you're really hoping to see um, things like the Milky Way and such, you want to do some research about the best times of the year to do that. That's kind of June through October is when you get some of the best views of the Milky Way after sunset. If you're uh, open to getting up super early, there's some other months where you can also get good Milky Way views. Um, but also check the lunar cycle. Um, having sure. a new moon um, is going to give you the darkest night skies, whereas a full moon, while it's going to create some amazing conditions down below as it illuminates, the, the canyon and provides for some hiking opportunities uh, will wash out uh, a good portion of the stars. Yep. Okay, fabulous. Makes, makes sense. All right. So number two uh, turned out to be our favorite hike. So we're, we're definitely going to be curious to see what your favorite hike is. But that's the, the Peekaboo Trail. Um, and we did it from going through the Queen's Garden uh, picking up, I think the the Navajo Navajo Loop was closed. The Navajo but, Loop was closed, but we went over to another section and then we're able to pick up the Peekaboo Trail, and that was incredible. The Peekaboo Trail is just unbelievable. Now I have to say, I have to tell our listeners, and I wrote this in the article. It's a lot of up, a lot of down, a lot of up, a lot of down, a lot of up, a lot of down. <laughs> when I, I I think wasn't a total of six miles total doing. I think it was. Starting from the Queen's Garden and going out. I think it was. But we have an expert that can tell us exactly how long it was. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. You know, there's a couple ways to access the Peekaboo Loop. One is down from Bryce Point, and that's about five and a half miles to do it from there. You can then combine it with the Queen's Garden and Navajo Loop. If you combined all of them, Queen's, Navajo, and Peekaboo, it'd be about six and a half miles total. And uh, yeah, that hike is um, when people are looking for more strenuous hiking and mm -hmm. haven't been to the park before, that's almost invariably where I send them. Uh, it's one of the park's oldest trails. Um, and uh, just the, the Peekaboo name, I'm told, comes from uh, the experience of a horseback rider, because this is one of the trails where horses and hikers do share the trail. Um, mm -hmm. But seeing a horse's head appear long before the rider would come around <laughs> in a sort of peekaboo moment because it's just constantly winding between rock walls and hoodoos and in and out of drainages. So um, it's very immersive and gives you that, that Bryce Canyon experience. Um, well, I, pretty I, I think, I think yeah, I think we were a little upset because we really wanted to do the Navajo Trail. Uh, it was closed because you were doing uh, work on the trail itself. Um, and so we took this not knowing what we were going to expect. We had no idea. And so we were just literally blown away at yeah. the trail. I mean, I, I don't think we've been on a more beautiful trail than the Peekaboo. I mean, I, I, really, would, agree. I would agree. It was just amazing. So um, what's your favorite hike within the park? Um, you know, it's a, it's a challenging question. Maybe that's not surprising, but you know, there's <laughs> backcountry areas that I really love. I think my favorite is probably the Riggs Spring Loop. Uh, it's a less traveled hike down at the southern end between Rainbow and Yovimpa points down there. It's about 8.6 miles. So it can be done as a day hike. Um, but 
unlike the northern end of the park where you're hiking down and surrounded by the hoodoos, as you yeah. go south, erosion's been taking place a lot longer and it's created more sheer cliffs of the colorful red rocks of Bryce Canyon. And then down below the cliffs, you have forest, you know, getting down into lower elevation life zones with yucca and other desert plants starting to appear. And so the rig spring loop takes you way down there and, and brings you back up. Um, the Sheep Creek Swamp Canyon Loop is another favorite. That's my wife's favorite trail in the park. She's a birder, um, very into wildlife and plants. And that's a great shorter opportunity to get into the backcountry. Um, and a lot of people will hike that as a day hike as well. But in the popular amphitheater day hike area, I, I don't think you can beat the rim trail and it's the section between Bryce Point and Inspiration Point. It's a mile and a half one way. Um, and it has the fewest people on it. It's the highest section of the rim trail. And uh, it's on, there's a white limestone layer that overlays the red rocks below. And the way the light can hit that white layer and kind of bounce the light back up to you and off of the trees, it's, it's really magical. And so that that's absolutely one of my favorite hikes. It also closes in winter. There's two main closures in winter. One is the Wall Street side of Navajo Loop, and the other is that section of Rim Trail between Bryce and Inspiration. So there's something, too, about a trail that becomes inaccessible for part of the year, you know, makes it even more special. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. And we are down to number one, and I am going to apologize in advance because I do this kind of weird, silly thing. <laughs> drum roll. So, it's so supposed you, to be a drum roll, you've but You've seen it's Christmas not. Vacation, right? Yeah. Yeah. You, you remember the drum roll when they're plugging in the uh, the lights to the house? Uh, so, so some this strange is reason. my version. Some strange reason we did that on the first podcast, and we've done it ever since. So, yeah. All right, Callie, lead us in. What is the number one? Give us the drum roll. Drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> the number one thing to do with Bryce Canyon, in our opinion, is... Oh, what a view. And that is the overlook at Bryce Point. I just thought that was just awe-inspiring to stand out there. And and like you said, when the Sirets, if I pronounce that correctly, first saw the canyon, just like speaking in hushed tones. And that's really what I experienced standing at that point, looking over the amphitheater and seeing all these hoodoos, almost literally as far as your eye could see. It was just, wow. I mean, that was I, the only word that came to my mind. But that point is just magical. When we got to we got to experience, and there was like only one other couple there yeah. uh, with us. So it was only the four of us, and the whole point. And so uh, it was just very, very spiritual for me. It just when we stopped by there by chance, yeah. we weren't even planning to stop by there. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we're just like, let's check this point out. So, so you just drive around. There's how, how many different? Did we say how many different overlooks there are? I don't know total. How many different overlooks are there, Ranger Pete? Um, let's see. I think there's 14. Let me uh, do another count here real quick. Um, let's see. Yeah, so we were just driving around and just randomly stopping him, uh, and we just happened to stop at that one, not knowing it's one of the more famous yeah. overlooks, and we were just taken away by it. Yeah, and this is, you know, for everybody listening, this is kind of that – iconic view that you'll see if you Google Bryce Canyon National Park and what the hoodoos look like. It's this grand sweeping view of all these hoodoos rising up from below, kind of below your feet. It's pretty incredible. Yeah, Bryce Point is is really special. I mean, you know, anything that gets the name of the park, I guess, is a clue that it's yeah. not to be missed. But um, it's built out on this fin of rock that extends facing north, you know. So I mentioned how almost all of the viewpoints in the park faced east. Mm-hmm. But you can see to the east at Bryce Point, but it's really directing your attention straight north. And you're at the southern end of the Bryce Amphitheater, uh, that super impressive part of the park. So you're looking all the way across it and over the other viewpoints to the forest on top of the plateau and everything beyond. Uh, so you really kind of feel like you're flying over the park. I'll take photos from there. And, People will wonder if it was taken with a drone, which, as a reminder, drones are not allowed in national parks. Um, But the perspective is much the same of just soaring over the landscape. 
It really is. And and the point there as well, when you're standing on that overlook, um, you know, behind the rails, you really do have that, that feeling or sensation of being up and out and over top of all of these hoodoos, which is incredible too. And, and it was, you know, we took our pictures, but we, we took time just to, to stand there. And, and I noticed uh, the, the few other people that were out there with us were doing the same thing, just standing there and just looking and everybody was very quiet and just watching. And it was, it was just breathtakingly beautiful. And that is one of the stops on the shuttle too. It is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause I remember seeing the shuttle stop there. So, well, that, that's awesome. Um, what now? Now, is there any camping actually in Bryce Canyon? I I didn't see a campground, but there is there a campground? I believe yeah, there, there are is. two actually. There's um, North and Sunset Campground. Both have around a hundred sites in them. Um, currently, North Campground is our reservation campground um, from May to October, so you can make reservations on Recreation.gov up to six months in advance, and then the rest of the year. North Campground goes to first come first serve. So it's open all year round. Uh, they just reduce the sites in the middle of winter to about 30 sites, you know, uh, within an RV loop. Uh, there are no hookups at the RV sites, so just be okay. aware of that. Um, Sunset Campground uh, at this moment is currently first come first serve. There was recently some public scoping done to potentially move at least some of those campsites onto reservation as well. But um, Sunset Campground also has uh, RV sites in it. Okay. It, With or without hookups? Uh, without hookups. Yeah, okay. no hookups so all, in the park. Okay. 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 But do you, do you know if there's any size restrictions on, on the size of the RV? Um, you know, the lengths of the sites are listed on recreation.gov, so you can check that out. I'm not sure if the park can accommodate anything over maybe 55 feet, um, okay. but that's me speaking from from memory you'll want to check the the sites yourself when you're looking gotcha Um, gotcha and then of course there's a number of um, opportunities not only for dispersed camping in the national forest but private campgrounds with rv sites um, that of course do have hookups surrounding the park right right there in bryce uh bryce Bryce city City. yeah there was several uh, ruby zen has their own little campground so if you're looking for all the hookups and all that okay Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was fabulous. Well, uh, Ranger Pete, we cannot thank you enough. And Randy's oh, you're I got, giving I got me this. I gotta look. ask him the okay. same question we asked. Oh, uh, you did. Well, you gave me like the motion. No, like, I know. Continue on. Okay, so we got to ask you. You're leaving Bright's tomorrow. The same thing I asked uh, uh, Ranger Rich in Yellowstone. You're leaving tomorrow. What's the one place? Uh, one place you go see, or one thing that you do in Bright's Canyon? I know we're putting you on the spot. Yeah. No. I mean. Most of my time is spent in the Ponderosa Forest on top of the plateau, you know, so Bryce Canyon is world famous for the for the red rocks and everything. But in my seven years here, I've really fallen in love with the Ponderosa Forest. You know, I grew up in the Midwest where forests were pretty thick, you know, and there's a Mm -hmm. lot of itchy plants. Yeah. Um, that you might not want to run into in the understory. <laughs> but at Bryce Canyon, these ponderosa forests are, are open and park-like, you know, the pine needles and every plant has its own space. And you can just lay on the ground in the forest and the sound of the wind in the pines is, is oceanic, you know, and, and then the smell, the ponderosa pines give off this butterscotch vanilla-like scent mm. in the summer that is uh, my favorite smell on earth. And, uh, yeah, I would hope that maybe that last day was maybe the day before a full moon. My favorite sunsets in the park are that the evening before a full moon, the moon will rise a little bit before the sun sets. And so you'll have this beautiful moon right over the landscape as the color is changing. And uh, those have been some of my favorite sunsets and memories in the park. And obviously, I would want my wife to be there to uh, enjoy our home together. Oh, sure. it, absolutely. You are fabulous at narrating. I, I'm like, I'm envisioning everything as you're saying it. And I'm like, oh, wow, I want to go back <laughs> and do that now. We're, we're always looking for writers for the magazine. That's right. If you're that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, fabulous. Thank you again so, so very much, Ranger Pete, for, for coming on our podcast and and talking with our listeners, talking to our listeners about the top 10 things to do and just the top things to do in Bryce Canyon National Park. Thank you so much for taking time out of, I know, your very, very busy day to uh, give our readers and writers and listeners all of this incredible information. So thank you. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you again for inviting me. And uh, hopefully we'll 
maybe run into you or some of your listeners here in the park in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we would just like to tell our listeners to be sure to go out there and grab your PDF copy of the top 10 things to do in Bryce Canyon National Park by going to www.rvdestinationsmagazine.com forward slash top 10. And don't forget to get out there and to subscribe to the magazine if you have not done so already. And you can go out to rvdestinationsmagazine.com forward slash subscribe. And if you use the code podcast 20, that is podcast 20, you'll save 20% off any of our subscriptions. So thank you all out there for joining us today. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to or follow the RV Destinations podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am Callie Beheimer here with Randy Beheimer and Peter Densmore from Bryce Canyon National Park. And we want to thank you all for listening. Be safe. Safe travels, y'all. You've been listening to the RV Destinations podcast. Hitting the road in an RV is one of the most popular things to do nowadays, and it's our passion to clue you in on where to go and what to see. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Make sure to like, rate, and review, and we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, visit our website at www.rvdestinationsmagazine.com. And from there, you'll get a more in-depth look at destinations for the RVer. Thanks for listening. Be safe out there. And we'll see you next time on the RV Destinations Podcast.